Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Glad to have you with us today. We're beginning a new series from Hebrews chapter 11 as we speak and think about living by faith. And I'm so thankful that God has put us here on this earth to live and that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And as you look around at things in this world, you can see what's on the news, you can listen to what's on the radio, you can read what's on the internet, but to live a life for the Lord is to live a life of faith. I think it's important for us, not because we haven't heard about faith before, but it's important because we need to be reminded and challenged about the way that the Christian must live his life. Because the reality is this, we as human beings live so much by what we can see and what we can hear, what we can physically touch, and yet faith is the sense Faith is the ability that the believer in Christ has that is able to give you the ability to see beyond what the human eye can see. The ability to hear those things, what, that which the human ear cannot hear, and to be able to know and sense the presence of God and His direction in your life. There's a, an old gospel song called Living by Faith. And I want us to sing maybe a verse or two of that song. If you know it, if you don't, just listen to the words. It's a simple song, but it speaks great truth. The song says, I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Here's the chorus. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm safe in His sheltering arm, I'm living by faith, and I feel no alarm. Second verse says, I know that He'll safely will carry me through, no matter what evils betide. Why should I then care, though the tempest may blow, if Jesus walks close to my side? Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm safe in His sheltering arm, I'm living by faith. And I feel no alarm. No faith, the scripture says, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that verse in and of itself is worth a lot of time and meditation to think about what faith really is. It is the substance. It is the ground or confidence of things hoped for. What are you hoping for? Hoping for tomorrow? Hoping for a birthday, a holiday? Hoping for a raise? Hoping for a reprieve of something that you're going through? We hope for all kinds of things, and faith the scripture says, is the substance of those things that are hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. You know, there's a lot that you can't see. You ever thought about the fact as you drive down the road that there's all kind of things happening around you, in vehicles around you, people paying attention or not paying attention, and yet somehow you made it here this morning. We trust God by faith that he has orchestrated things and allowed us to come here today. 
We sang a song a little bit ago that spoke about the mansions that God is preparing for us in heaven. You know why we know those are there? By faith. We haven't seen them. In fact, here in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 2, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. To have a good report in your life before the Lord requires faith. This reminds me of when I was in elementary school and we got to our favorite time of the year, report cards. Everybody loves report cards. Well, you love it when you have a good report. You don't love it when you have a bad report. And for the believer to have a good report, the believer must have faith. Verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us one incredibly important area that we must take by faith. This is not to say that there is no scientific evidence of these things, but ultimately the Bible says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Were you there to see it all created? No. Say, well, I'm pretty old. You're not old enough to be there when God made the world. In fact, nobody was there except God. And so we take His word by faith that He spoke this world into existence. And it says, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's incredible to think about that everything that has been created in this world, God made it through His spoken word. That God didn't take things to form this out of. No, it was all made by His spoken word. You know, the only thing that God, the Bible tells us that God made with His hands was you and me. Was you and me. The Bible says, and the Lord God took of the dust of the ground and he formed man, he formed Adam. And then he took a rib out of Adam's side and he formed Eve. God took great care in his creation of you. As we begin this series, Living by Faith, I want us to take time to consider these different characters. And they were characters, many of them. These different people that are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11 because God has recorded them for us as examples so that we would learn to live by faith. And the first one that we're going to consider this morning is Abel. Notice Hebrews 11, 4, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he, that's Abel, obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it he and by it he being dead yet speaketh if you have your bibles turn back with me to genesis chapter 4 i want to read about this specific occurrence where cain and abel had this interaction with god about these sacrifice genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 8 say this and adam knew eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Eve looked at Cain as a gift from God. Uh, one that she would know would hopefully carry on her lineage. She looked at him as perhaps the promised one that God had sent. And the Bible says in verse 2, And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Cain brings his offering to the Lord. He brings of the fruit of the ground that he had grown in his fields. And God says, no, I will not accept that sacrifice. And when God said, no, I won't accept it, did you see Cain's response? His response was one of anger. 
his response was one of frustration. His countenance fell. His face just got all crooked. He was upset. But notice what God tells Cain in verse number 6. And the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Cain, don't be angry. Don't be upset. If you'll do right, I'll accept your offering. And he says, And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. You see, when we come to God, we must come on His terms, not on our own terms. Cain came the way that he wanted to come, and God said, no, that's not acceptable, but if you'll come my way, I will accept it. And he says in verse number 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. It's an interesting turn of events because we don't ever see Cain coming back to God and speaking to him. Not at this point. Later, God curses Cain and, and we know the rest of the story. But when God gave Cain an opportunity to come back with the proper sacrifice, Cain instead went and killed his brother, the one who had brought the proper sacrifice in the first place. The heroes of faith are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. And I would say that there's not a greater chapter in the entire Bible on the subject of faith. In this chapter, we get a glimpse of the presence, the principle, the power, and the great possibilities of faith as it is seen to be operative in the lives of different men and women who are mentioned in this chapter. But I want to point this out as we get into this study from Hebrews 11, that every single person that's mentioned in this chapter, these were all ordinary and sinful people. This is not a chapter that's filled with the names of super Christians or superhumans. No, these are ordinary, sinful people. But they are mentioned because they believed God. They had faith in God. You see, faith is the indispensable quality for which God looks. God is looking for those who will trust in Him. In fact, if you go down just a couple more verses back in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Yeah. That word impossible is a very clear and concise word. It doesn't leave any room for question. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Because if you're going to come to God... He says, you must believe that He is, that He is God, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. 1 John 5.10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of His Son. Faith is absolutely fundamental to a relationship with God. Without faith, you cannot please God. The truth is this, that the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is that in the life of the Christian, the principle of faith is operative. But in the life of the non-Christian, faith in God is not present. Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians says something very similar in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law, by his works, right? Cain came trying to be justified through his work, through his offering to God. But we're not justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, Galatians 3 says, for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10 just a few verses back from where we've been looking in chapter 11, says in verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. God repeats this phrase 
over and over for us in His Word so that we might grasp the simple yet profound concept that the just shall live by faith. Yet we find ourselves in a world today where we live by sight, by feelings, by what is going on around us. We live by what our friends say. We live by what society thinks. And yet for the Christian today, my friend, we must live by faith. I think it's interesting that the first man of faith that's mentioned in this chapter is none other than Abel. There's a lot of men and women of faith in the Bible, so why does God start with Abel? Well, because he's the first man of faith. It's in, in kind of a chronological order here. But you know, I find it interesting. He doesn't mention Adam or Eve. Adam and Eve, the ones who had an opportunity to walk and talk with God there in the Garden of Eden, and yet their lives were not marked by faith enough, at least not so that God would put them in this chapter. As we look at Abel, we're going to see that it was faith which enabled him to approach God and to worship Him acceptably. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, we're going to read about Enoch. He was a man who walked with God by faith. In Hebrews eleven seven, we're going to read of Noah. He was a man who worked for God by faith. But it's significant that we first read of Abel because he was a man who worshipped God by faith. Worship. Worship is the highest function of the human soul. And only as we are able to worship God can we walk with God and work for God. It's incredible to think about how Abel's faith was demonstrated in his willingness to worship God the way God commanded that he be worshipped. So how can a man then approach God and be accepted by Him? How can you approach God and be accepted by Him? Well, there's two ways to approach God. You're going to say, this is really dumb. This is simple. There's the true way and there's the false way. I don't know if you like those kind of questions on tests, those true-false questions. Well, I got a 50-50 chance here. What am I going to do? Give me a multiple choice. At least then I can use process of elimination. And, you know, if you when in doubt, choose C, right? You had all those kind of things. But true and false. I'm so thankful that God didn't just throw us out here and say, guess, I hope you figure it out. No, He's given us the proper way to approach Him. And He's told us what that way is in His words. See, Cain was rejected because his offering was not acceptable to God. His offering was not acceptable to God. Abel was accepted because the offering that he brought was acceptable to God. And we're all like Abel or Cain. We're either saved or lost. We're either believers or unbelievers. We're either accepted or rejected, in or out, Christians or not Christians. So how did Abel exercise faith in the Lord? Faith that made him acceptable to the Lord and enabled him to worship God and have the assurance of salvation. How did he do that? And is that something we can do today? Well, you've listened well. That's the introduction to my series on living by faith. So we're not quite done. I've got a few points for you this morning. So here's the first point. Number one, Abel exercised faith by discounting human schemes, methods, and reasoning, and by obeying God. I like to sing and I like songs. One of my favorite songs is Trust and Obey. Faith and obedience, trust and obey. The song says, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The book of James tells us that faith without works is what? Dead, being alone. Our faith must be backed up by our obedience. Picture these two men, Cain and Abel. These are brothers, the first brothers. The first two children ever to be born on this earth. 
And before they could come into the presence of God, they had to bring an offering. Why? Because they were sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. That includes Cain and, yes, Abel. It wasn't because Cain was the sinner and Abel was not a sinner. No, they were both sinners. Therefore, to come before God, they must come with an offering. Well, how do we know that they're sinners? Well, because their dad was a sinner. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So both men built an altar. And Cain brought his offering, the fruit of the ground. In Genesis 1.3, the Bible says, And Abel brought his offering of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. He brought a sacrificial lamb. Now, if you had to look at these two offerings, Cain's offering, I would say, was more attractive than Abel's offering. One was a a collection of fruits and vegetables perhaps that have been grown out of the ground. This past week, I got to enjoy a fresh watermelon from my garden. We've been growing these watermelons. You know, it's so hard to grow a garden because you watch that stuff and you water it and you see it out there going. You're like, when can we pick it? When can we pick it? When can we pick it? And I will say we jumped the gun a little bit with our first watermelon because we were so excited that it was out there. And we went out and we cut that watermelon. We cut it open and it wasn't ripe yet. And we're like, okay, well, we kind of ate it and it wasn't very good. But we decided, okay, we're going to wait. And we waited and we waited and we did some research and found out that you need to watch the stem and when it starts to dry off on the watermelon, then, then you know it's time to pick it. And so we picked those watermelons and now we're just picking watermelons. It feels like every day and we cut those things open and they're thin skin and they're juicy and they're bright red and they're so tasty and good. You know, an offering of the fruit of the ground would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? It'd be a beautiful thing. It'd be a lot nicer to look at than a bloody sacrificial lamb. See, while Cain's offering was more attractive than Abel's, Abel's offering was what God wanted. Because God evidently had revealed His way of sacrifice to Abel's parents. Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Before the skins could be provided for a covering for Adam and Eve, an animal had to be killed and his blood had to be shed. So while Cain was placing upon this altar the fruits of his own labor, the grain, the vegetables, which he had raised by his own efforts, Abel, on the other hand, took a perfect lamb killed it, poured out the blood on the side of the altar and placed the lamb upon the altar. Abel's offering anticipated the coming lamb of God. And there have been many theologians that have argued about this. Well, how much did Abel know? How could he have known? And all of these things. And yet, I think you'll see this morning as we look at a number of other Scripture passages about Abel and his life, that God recognized Abel's faith in bringing this offering of a lamb. And God even refers back to Abel's offering of a lamb multiple times throughout Scripture to point back and say, this was a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would come to take away the sins of the world. In fact, in John 1 and verse 29, the Bible says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In 1 Peter 1.19 it says, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Revelation 13.8 it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Abel's offering typified the sacrifice that Christ would make on Calvary. 
here's the truth for us today. You and I are not like Cain and Abel in the sense that we're living in a, that we were born maybe in the Garden of Eden or just after our parents had moved out of the Garden of Eden. We're not like Cain and Abel in the sense that we're living on a world with nobody else around us and it's just us and our mom and dad and there's literally nobody else. Imagine what that must have been like. But we are like Cain and Abel in the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And the truth that Abel demonstrated by faith is that there is only one way for a sinner to approach a holy God. There's only one way, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And to exercise faith in God, this great exercise of faith that Abel demonstrated, it means to recognize this fact that there's only one way to God and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ and to approach Him in this way and to come to Him even if you say, well, human reasoning, that doesn't make sense. Why would God want a bloody sacrifice instead of this sacrifice? And I think that's what happened to Cain. He said, well, this is the fruit of my hands. This is what I've worked to produce. This is my best. But can I tell you this morning, your best is not good enough to bring you into the presence of God. The only way that God will accept you is through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon the cross for your sin and my sin Amen. and the sins of the world. So we see his exercise of faith as he discounted human schemes, methods, and reasoning and Abel was willing to obey God. I want you to see secondly this morning that Abel exercised faith by acknowledging his sin and his need of forgiveness. You know, it takes faith to admit that you're a sinner. There's no hint of any acknowledgement of sin with Cain. But Abel's sacrifice and offering spoke not only of man's sin, but also of God's remedy for sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. In the New Testament, we have a story about two men that I think in some ways are similar to the story of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. It's the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 about a Pharisee and a publican. The Bible says in Luke 18 verse 10 that two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. This was a tax collector. Your favorite person, the IRS. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Key word there, he prayed with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. One was proud, and he was rejected. The other was humble. And he was accepted. One was blind in his sin. One was full of self-righteousness. The other acknowledged his need of God's forgiveness. And this is what we see in the story of Cain and Abel. Abel exercised his faith by acknowledging his sin. He acknowledged, I have to come to God the way that He wants me to come because I need the blood to cover my sin. We can see thirdly from the story of Abel that he exercised his faith by recognizing that no work or effort of his could gain him acceptance before God. 
The Bible says back in Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Abel's life exemplified the truth, not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. But the language of Cain, oh no, it was more all the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Something in my hand I bring. See, so many are like Cain. They want to come to God, but they want to come on their own merit. They want to come bringing their own things and say, well, God, you have to accept me because I'm a good person. God, you have to accept me because I've given you my best. God, you have to accept me because here I am. You ought to just accept me because I'm me. And God says, no, I accept the sinner who comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, he accepts his son's sacrifice, not your sacrifice. He came to save you from your sin. Trust in him today. See, Cain brought his best, but it was not acceptable. Isaiah 64, 6 says it this way, But we are all as an unclean thing. Well, I got up this morning, I took a shower, I shaved the edges of my beard, being careful not to round the corners of it so that I would be in line with every... No. I got all cleaned up and, and got dressed and came to church. But you know what? Getting in the shower and cleaning off in the shower does nothing to change me on the inside. Amen. It's only through the blood of Christ that we can be cleansed yes. from all sin. We have to recognize, like Isaiah said, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, all our sacrifices, all the things that we could bring on our own are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Paul wrote in Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified. But Lord, you ought to accept my sacrifice. God, you ought to accept what I have to bring. God, I'm a pretty good person. There shall no deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, you can't keep the law perfectly. The law, rather, is your teacher. It's your schoolmaster. It's what shows you that you have a need, that you are a sinner. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Abel exercised faith by recognizing that no work or effort of His could gain Him acceptance before God. I also believe that Abel exercised faith by providing an offering that foreshadowed the great offering for sin. The great offering for sin. As Abel brought his offering before the Lord, he was coming the way that God told him to come. He was coming according to God's word and God's way, not his own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of of us all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, And He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Isn't that an incredible thought? Perfectly sinless Son of God and He made Him to be sin for you and me. What a great exchange that was as God took the perfection of heaven, the perfection of Jesus Christ, and He exchanged that for our wicked, rotten, sinful selves. And then He looks at us and He says, You are justified, just as if you've never sinned. Your sin is washed away because of Jesus 
Christ, 1 Peter 2.24, who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. I like what 1 John 1.7 says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Do you see this theme? It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. I get it. Blood is repulsive. Not something we want to think about or look on. Why do you think God used such a awful sight as payment for our sin, I think in some way it was because it helps us to understand the absolute horrific wickedness of our sin. Now you might say this morning, well, poor Cain, he didn't have a lamb to offer. I mean, he, he just did the best he could. Shouldn't God accept people who are just doing the best that they can? I'm going to differ with you this morning, though, because he did have a lamb to offer. Genesis 4-7, God speaks to Cain after Cain makes the wrong sacrifice, and he says to him, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Do you know what God did here? God gave Cain a second chance. God gave Cain a second chance. That's God giving him something he did not deserve. You know what we call that? We call it grace. We call it grace. And I'm so thankful that God gives us second chances. And we say, well, I deserve more chances. No, we don't deserve any chances. But we serve a God who's full of grace and mercy, and He gives second chances. He says, if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. God is saying, look, Cain, it's not too late. Bring the right kind of offering, and I will accept you. Cain had an opportunity but Abel exercised his faith by providing an offering that foreshadowed the great offering for sin. I want you to see finally this morning that Abel exercised faith by accepting God's testimony that he was righteous. Let's go back to our verse where we began this morning, Hebrews 11:4. By faith. Abel offered unto God a more perfect, excellent sacrifice than Cain. Let's pick this apart for just a minute. He doesn't say, by his offering, God accepted Abel. No, he says, by faith, Abel offered. So the offering that he made was not him doing it in his own works. It was the demonstration of his faith in God. And that's a very important distinction. Because there are many people who come and say, well, I came to church. I sang in the choir. I served in the nursery. I worked to clean up after the fellowship and took the trash out. I did all these things. I did the right things. God should accept this. But the key is here in this verse when it says he did these things by faith. He didn't do them as the means of salvation. No, he did them by faith in God to save him. And he was demonstrating his faith in God by his obedience to the Lord. By faith, Abel obtained witness that he was righteous. You see it there in the verse, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. The witness, the evidence, the testimony of his faith was shown through the sacrifice that he brought. Some people think that the sacrifice equates to faith. Well, look at all the money I've given. Look at all the stuff I've done. I've done all these things. No, that's just you doing stuff in your own strength. He's saying, no, he 
did it by faith, and it was a witness. The sacrifice was a witness to his faith. So this means that Abel believed that through his offering, he demonstrated that God had accepted him and had justified him. Abel's faith, therefore, brought him the assurance of salvation. And so should ours. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Why? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How can we draw near? Oh, because I got dressed up and came to church. No. Because I sang really loud when the songs were sung. No. I draw near in the full assurance of faith. Now we understand if we have real faith, it should result in doing things for the Lord. But we're doing it as a response to what He has done for us, not as a means by which we might earn His favor in our lives. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I want you to notice two more verses, two more statements about Abel. Look, if you're in Hebrews 11, look over one more chapter to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 24. It says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Well, there's a lot going on there. It's a verse in the middle of a larger context. Do you see the reference here to Abel's sacrifice? Now, what does it say about Abel's sacrifice? It says that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ speaks better things than the sacrifice of Abel. That's what it's saying. In other words, the sacrifice of Abel was looking forward to the future sacrifice that Christ would make. I'll say it another way. Abel wasn't saved just because of his sacrifice. No. He was saved because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Abel's sacrifice was looking forward to the sacrifice that Christ would make in his place. We don't ever want to get caught up in the trap of thinking, well, people in the Old Testament got saved a different way than people in the New Testament. Yes, there were a sacrificial system, but that was all about pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament saints, and we'll read about many of them in the coming weeks, they were saved by faith, just like you and I must be saved by faith today as well. This means that while the blood of Abel was prophetic and pointed forward to that which was to be the blood of Jesus, on the other hand, declares that the whole work of salvation is finished. See, Abel's sacrifice had to be repeated again and again and again. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is a once-for-all sacrifice. He made it once for all. I want you to see one other reference to Abel back at the end of verse 4, our text today. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. In other words, God approved of Abel's faith and his demonstration of faith through his sacrifice. Notice the last phrase, and by it... He being dead, yet speaketh. So Abel's faith is still speaking to us today. That's an amazing thing about faith. 
It's so much bigger than we are, and it lives so much longer than we do. This means that Abel continues to proclaim from age to age that there's only one way for a guilty sinner to be saved. And there's only one acceptable way for a man to approach a holy God. And that way is through faith in the precious blood of Christ. I can't be saved by my good works. I can't worship God based on my own merit. I got dressed up, therefore I'm ready to worship. No, worship is because of a work that God has done in you and that is He's doing through you. And your worship is a response to who He is and what He has done for you. You must be saved by faith in the power of the blood of Christ to wash away all sins. There's only one acceptable way to approach a holy God. And that is through faith in the precious blood of Christ. Don't come the false way. Don't come your own way. Come the true way. The way of faith. If you need to trust in God for salvation, don't wait. Don't wait. Do it now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it, the elders obtained a good report. We've pulled out your report card this morning. What's it look like? As you think about what occupied your mind this past week and what's occupying your mind as you look forward to this next week? Is it faith in a holy God who loved you enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to save you for sin, from your sin? Or is it the cares of this world? Just trying to survive and get through another day. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to be able to preach this to you this morning. But I'm not standing up here this morning because I'm getting an A-plus in every area on my report card either. Preaching to myself this morning too. We all have to walk by faith and live by faith. While we get our mind and eyes on the things around us, craziness in the news, the crazy neighbor next door. If you brought your neighbor this morning as a guest, I'm sure it's the neighbor on the other side that is the crazy neighbor. We get our eyes off the Lord and we don't walk by faith. I want you, before the Lord this morning, to let Him do a spiritual report card, spiritual assessment on your life. And if there's an area you say, Lord, I don't, have faith in I I don't know what to do about this I would just invite you to begin by admitting that to the Lord and saying God I haven't trusted you with this I trust you with some things but this one was mine Lord I'm gonna give this one to you as well Lord would you lead me would you guide me would you direct me Lord I'm gonna commit to spend time in your word and look for the answers that you've promised to give us in your word. God, I'm going to commit to spend time in prayer with you, and I'm going to wait on the Lord. We like to run around. We like to do it all in our own strength. And I'm not telling you you shouldn't get up and move forward step by step, but what I'm saying is you better be moving forward with the Lord, not in your own strength, not leaning on your own understanding, but following what His word says. Cain and Abel. These two brothers, the first two brothers ever to live, one trusted God and walked by faith. One trusted himself and his own ability. It takes faith to trust God. Would you trust him today? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word.
We thank you for the example of Abel. A man that we don't really know, but it doesn't seem like his time on this earth was all that long. And Lord, the reality is we don't know in our own lives how long we have on this earth. We could have decades more. We could have just a few weeks or even a few hours or moments more. Lord, I pray that we would trust you by faith that as your children, you have created us and you've placed us as we've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. You've placed us in your hand and that you protect us, you keep us safe, you guide and direct us, but help us to walk by faith. And Father, I want to pray this morning if there's somebody here that's never trusted in Christ. They've not a person who other people would say, well, they're a bad person. No, just somebody who's lived their life according to their own way, trusted in their own knowledge, in their own ability, in their own goodness. Pray that you would open their hearts this morning, the eyes of faith that they would see that only true salvation only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. As the piano plays, if that's you this morning and you say, I need to trust in Jesus Christ. I've trusted in my own way, but I see this morning that the only way to God is through Jesus. I'd like to pray for you if you'd be willing, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you'd be willing just to slip your hand up real quietly where you sit and right back down. I'll just pray for you. I won't call your name. I won't call you out anybody at all. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to trust Christ. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord knows your heart. Let me pray for these right now. Lord, you've seen this hand, and you know, more importantly, the heart. So, Father, I pray that you would give grace, that your spirit would move. This one would call out in faith to you. Lord, a prayer doesn't save, but faith in you saves. And as we pray, we're demonstrating our faith in your ability to save and forgive us of sin. I want to ask one more question this morning so that I might be a help to you and pray for you if you need it. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I do know I've been saved. I know I've trusted Christ as, as my Savior, but if I'm honest, if I had to give see my report card this morning, there's some areas on it that I'm not getting an A plus in. And God has challenged me this morning about my faith and to dig into His Word and to spend time in prayer and to seek Him. And if you'd like me to pray for you this morning, would you just slip up your hand right up and down? Many hands all over. Yeah. I want to pray for these. Lord, you know these hearts. Raising a hand never changed anybody. Only Jesus Christ does. I thank you for these who are willing to at least admit, say, Lord, I've got some areas that I've been doing it my own way, and I need to give it to you. Lord, help these to follow you in obedience in Jesus' name. Amen.